Hello and welcome to the View from the Clock End podcast on the Arsenal Way. I'm joined, as always, by Chief Football London Arsenal reporter Kai Karnak. How are you doing, mate? You good, Joel? I'm very good, thank you. How about yourself, Tom? You're not bad. Not too shabby. Uh, I feel like now that we're not in European football, that every week is like a mini international break. Like, it's just... <laughs> There's no like, you know, obviously we've had some uh, some youth action, which we're going to talk about. But do you know what I mean? There's just, it's such a long gap from weekend to weekend. I think especially this one where it's a Saturday through to a Sunday it just feels that mm. bit longer, doesn't it? I mean, obviously it's literally that bit longer, but it feels just, you know, the extra day just feels so much more intense because with the title race being as it is, it's almost a second one game is done. It's immediately on to the next game. There's not that much time for reflection because all that matters is the next result now. So yeah, that gap is getting harder and harder to fill, I think. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, well, we're going to try and fill it with uh, some <laughs> Arsenal chats. And uh, Arsenal's under-18s filled it pretty darn well uh, the other night, to be fair, with a very senior-esque uh, late win. Uh, I mean, if Reese Nelson's goal was late, a 120th minute winner is taking things to another level. You were there, Kaya. How was it? Yeah, 121st minute. So even later oh, than that, yeah. if you can imagine it. Um Amazing um, finale to the game. It was a finale not really befitting of the extra time that had come before it because these young guys aren't used to playing games where they go to 120 minutes. It just doesn't really happen at youth level that often. So when it does, there's obviously a lot of cramp that sets in, uh, a lot of fatigue, a lot of muscle injuries, and that stopped the game in extra time every 30 seconds. But it had been quite an interesting game up until that point. Obviously, Arsenal took the lead early. Uh, prior to that, there had been a red card from Man City and Arsenal were massive underdogs. And I think that really helped. So within 10 minutes, City had uh, Lakyle, and I've forgotten his surname, Lakyle Samuel sent off for a foul on Amari Benjamin. Fantastic through ball from Cozy Dubri to create that chance. And then uh, Mikhail Rosiak went and scored from the resulting free kick and it looked like Arsenal were in control. They had chances again through Benjamin, who was a real threat. Cozy Dubri had chances. Waneri had chances. Uh, shout out to Jimmy Gower, who was very good in the first half as well. And they didn't really take them. And then from that point on, City did just start to creep back into the game and maybe you see the golfing quality where if it had been 11 v 11, I think Arsenal might have struggled. But with that man advantage, Arsenal just about edged things. And City, when they did score, I think it was a bit of a sucker punch. I don't think anyone in the stadium could have said, oh, that had been coming for Man City. But then again, Arsenal were slightly taking their foot off the gas and they weren't dominating the ball maybe as much as the team had the extra man should have done. Then obviously extra time came along. Yeah, like I say, cramp laden, but the finale was was superb and drama to the end. It's been a dramatic run all the way through for this under eighteen side. They've they've had last minute winners against Cambridge, against Newcastle, uh, the fifth round against Watford. They were two 0 down at half time and came back to win four two. So it seems to be in the DNA of the club right now. If you look at the, the men's team, the women's team, the under eighteens. Everyone seems to be going through some dramatic sort of resurgence right at the very end of matches. And it makes for great viewing as an Arsenal journalist. And yeah, it's 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 really fascinating to see. And good luck to them for the final because it's, it's going to be a tricky one. They'll find out their opponents tonight. It'll either be Southampton or West Ham and that's going to be at the Emirates. So if you want to get down there, do so. I think the record for a final attendance is 70,000. And we were speaking to Jack Wilshere after the game and he sort of gave a rallying call saying Arsenal fans are better than Man United fans. So try and get out there, get down there, support the boys for what's going to be a historic occasion and hopefully their first final uh, victory in 14 years. So when Jack Wilshere was even starring in that team. So Mm. lots of good players, very exciting crop coming through and uh, fingers crossed they're able to be able to, to win it as well. 
But unless people are sitting around the rim of the Emirates roof, I don't think we'll break that record, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> certainly we can try and get as close to it as we can. Um, but no, absolutely fantastic. And especially it's a call out, you know, fans that have been struggling to get tickets, as we know, all, all season. Uh, I managed to get a reply to the club on that if you want to read an article about the situation, of course, from last week. But if you have been struggling to get to Arsenal games, you want to be able to get to one get to the final, go to the Youth Cup, go to the women's games. You know, there are other opportunities to go and see Arsenal, go to the Emirates for a match this season. And this is a great, great moment for you to go and support the team as well. Rarely are. Rarely is the Emirates a host of a final. Um, so, yes, this should be a good one for the Emirates Cup, which is, you know, it, it is what it is. But uh, a Youth <laughs> Cup is is much more exciting. Emirates Cup's um, catching strays over here. What's that done wrong? That prestigious tournament. What's that one? The prestigious tournament is the Emirates Cup. It's doing nothing yeah. wrong. It's catching strays. Outrageous. Outrageous disrespect. <laughs> Look, it's uh it's it's a it's one of the nicest looking trophies um for me out there. Um but uh yeah, beyond that, it's it's you know, I don't want to give too much credence to it because then I feel like I'm giving credence to something like the Audi Cup. And I you know, no one wants to do that. No one cares about that. No one cares about that. Yeah. Um, stick, sticking with the youth side of things, obviously there's a lot of questions at the moment surrounding kind of the summer and who would get an opportunity from the performance that you saw. I saw a few people tweeting saying it's eerily strange how similar Koja Dubri is to a young Bukayo Saka. Um, and uh, obviously there's a few other performers, Lino Souza, of course, at left back, you know, with potentially Tini and Tavares maybe moving on in the summer. We don't know, but who that is, you know, it's a potential reality that might happen. Is there pathways for people like him? What did you make of, of those that were auditioning for that chance? Yeah, the, the positions that Cozy Dubri takes up on the pitch, particularly with the inverted fullback Rosiak behind him, they're very reminiscent of Saka. And what also stands out to me is the tenacity that Cozy Dubri has. Mm. And that's not always the case with the young players. He's got quite an interesting story where, unlike someone like a Saka or a, maybe a Joe Willock a few years ago or a Reese Nelson who have been with the Arsenal Academy since they were seven, eight years old, Cozy Dubri came into things quite late. He was playing for a Sunday league team until, until relatively recently. And I think wow. that's because... Uh, he's a relatively small guy and I think he's sort of physically he's only sort of started coming on in the past couple of years and that I think gives him a fighting spirit that maybe gives him an edge over some of the other young players in the Arsenal Academy set up and he fights for balls there was one uh, in the second half of the game on Tuesday where he had no right to win a ball off a, a, a defender who I think was about six foot three at least and Koji Dubia I wouldn't say is, is higher than five eight and he goes, out-muscles this guy, wins the ball, then plays an inch-perfect ball through to Amari Benjamin. And if Benjamin had been able to score, we would have been talking about it as, as one of those sort of viral assists that really captures the imagination of, of the Arsenal fan base when it comes to the academy. And he's a very exciting player and there's lots of talk. Do Arsenal need another forward? Do they need to supplement that line with maybe another striker or something like that? Listen, the academy's providing lots of good players in those positions and Kozio Dubri, I think, has the potential to step up maybe in pre-season. We'll see him a bit. Maybe he'll go out on loan next year. Who knows? But I think he's ready to test himself at first team level for sure. I think he's got that fight. I think he's got that spirit and the consistency and the humbleness as well. When you talk to people around the club, they, they speak very highly of how humble he is and how willing he is to learn. So Koji Dubri definitely one to watch and maybe one for pre-season. Same with Lino Souza, who you mentioned there. Yes, um, the left-back situation at Arsenal is very interesting with Nuno Tavares coming back from loan, um, Kieran Tierney potentially you know, having lost that battle to Alex Zinchenko, potentially maybe to look on. That does make things quite interesting for Arsenal. Do they look to go out and buy a left-back? Tommy Asu could play as a backup left-back. Lino Souza, 
I think is a very good player and could potentially fill that role. He's someone who can do the inverted thing very well. His delivery is superb and it was superb on several occasions on Tuesday night again. And I think he can make a massive difference if he's given a chance. I, I wonder if maybe Arsenal will look to send him on loan before throwing him straight into the first team setup just because next season is going to be so much more intense. They're going to be competing for Champions League football. They're going to be competing for Premier League titles, hopefully again. And throwing an 18-year-old into that mix is quite a difficult thing to to manage. And listen, I think he'd be able to step up. I think he's got the right mentality. If you talking to, to people in the summer when he went to that Nuremberg tour, he was up early doing extra push-ups and going for extra runs. Him and Raw Waters were waking each other up doing extra training sessions before the training sessions. So that's how much these guys want it. And Raw Waters is another who, if Tommy Asu's injury doesn't quite clear up as, as Arsenal are hoping before pre-season, then maybe he could be one to keep an eye on. But there's so many talented youngsters in that Arsenal group and hopefully we'll see a few of them in pre-season. Hopefully we'll see a few of them in the first team next season as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's fair to say that, yeah, both Waters and Coach Dubry have been included in senior squads throughout the campaign. Um, and when we're in a situation where I think, obviously, we didn't have Trossard at this point and he was still getting into things and we had either one of Jesus or Nketiah out, Smith-Rowe still coming back from injury. Uh, Coach Dubry was, was on the bench and was, you know, learning from that experience of what a senior match day is like. And he's putting himself on the mat with his performances and Arteta certainly rates him. So one to watch, maybe one that we'll see a potential loan for next season at a more senior level to see how he kind of adapts to that. Because you mentioned he is on the smaller side and so seeing how he does perform at the senior level against um, much more developed, older, more experienced players is going to be an interesting situation to see. Um, moving forwards then, and of course, we've got a rather big game this weekend. And before we get to the Liverpool game, we need to talk about the latest team news. You alluded to some of the issues that Arsenal's team faces right now. The big one is William Saliba. Um, we continually don't really have too much information in regards to his availability. Mikel Arteta will indeed face the press tomorrow. And Kai, you'll be there for that to hear from Arteta. But I mean, your view on, on firstly him being out and probably most likely out for this game and, and Rob Holding coming in again. Who's yeah. your favourite player, you know? So. <laughs> I actually do like Rob Holding. I just think um, in these sorts of games where um, Liverpool, you know, historically have operated a high press, they've, they've not been pressing very well in recent matches and against Man mm. City, that was a real issue for them. But um, the high line against the pace of the Liverpool attack does concern me a bit. Uh, the idea of Mo Salah maybe, I know he's on the other side of the pitch, but going 1v1 with um, holding at any point does scare me. Luis Diaz is coming back. Um, obviously, Cody Gakpo has been doing relatively well for Liverpool. I know there's a few mixed reviews. I think I, I think he's done pretty well from what I've seen of him in his, his limited time there. So holding up against that front three would be a potentially you know risky uh, situation. But he's stepped up for Arsenal so far against Leeds, against Crystal Palace. And... He's going to have to do it again by the looks of things. I'm not saying that Saliba's out for certain, but it is looking more and more like that will be the case. I'm not certain if he's trained this week at all. I don't think he has. And with that being the case as it is, I can't see him making it for Sunday. But, you know, late fitness tests and all that kind of stuff, if Saliba does manage to get a training session in before this weekend, then maybe Arsenal will look to play him depending on how he, he comes through that. As Arteta has said, back injuries are very difficult to to sort of manage because it's all about weight load and all that kind of stuff. So how much do Arsenal want to put on him early? Do they risk, you know, putting more stress on the injury and then creating more of a problem further down the line? Or do they sort of take a, a harsh bit of medicine now in order to have him 
for the long run. It's a very difficult balance to strike. I think Arsenal would love to have him back as soon as possible, of course, because in my opinion, he's been the second best defender in the Premier League this season behind Gabriel. So any team is going to be weaker without William Saliba in it. But Rob Holding has stepped up. He's done well in the past couple of games. And I know Mikel Arteta won't be afraid to call on him if needs be. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I think that Rob Holding in those two games has looked exactly like you expect Rob Holding to look. You know, he's he's good at defending the box, good in the air. He's got his mitigate like there are you may get mitigating circumstances regarding, you know, what he can do compared to say Saliba, who's not as confident dribbling out from the bat, but it doesn't mean he can't do it. And he does attempt to do it on occasion. Does play a nice long ball out to the wide areas as we've seen on a couple of occasions as well. It's just that rashness, I think, that, that sometimes worries fans. The went he step into challenges maybe too early and leave a little bit of space behind him exposed. But it's a different scenario to what we had at the end of last season where it was Cedric and El Nenny around him. And this time it's Partey and, and White and obviously a much better Gabriel Magalhaes as well at the same time. So there's a lot of support for him. But it's a big test. And Sunday is obviously the big focus of the weekend. How are you feeling about it? And has those two games against Chelsea and City maybe settled the nerves a little bit, considering how they performed? Uh, no, purely because this game's <laughs> at Anfield and uh, those games were away for Liverpool. And Liverpool's home record this season is, is very good. It's second to only mm. Arsenal and Manchester City. So if it was at the Emirates, I'd feel confident for Arsenal being able to get a result. And I, if, if anything, I'd be disappointed if Arsenal didn't get a result at the Emirates. At Anfield... It's a whole different ball game. Liverpool seem to be able to raise their level. And as much as they've been poor this season, and they were really disappointing against Manchester City last week, particularly in the second half, and um, they didn't do an awful lot against Chelsea from what I could see. I was obviously distracted with the under-18s game on Tuesday night, but from sort of brief glimpses I could see and speaking to people who watched the game, it sounded like a pretty awful game. And it sounded like Liverpool weren't exactly setting the world alight. So, yeah, I don't think it'll be easy still. And that's because of Anfield being a massive factor. And we've seen what Liverpool can do to teams there. Obviously, Manchester United lost 7-0 there very recently. And Liverpool are a team who are still capable of doing things like that, even in this sort of beaten down phase. And Guardiola has said that himself. He said, look, it doesn't matter what's happening with them this season. It's just inconsistency. They're still a team capable in a one-off game of hammering any opponent in the Premier League. And listen, they've beaten Man City this season. They could beat Arsenal this season. They've beaten United, several other teams, Newcastle as well. All those kind of teams at home. And that makes things very difficult. Arsenal, of course, haven't won at Anfield since 2012 as well, which is another factor to throw into the into the mix when Mikel Arteta was playing in the side. So it's been that long. And yeah, I don't think anyone can be truly truthful if they say they feel confident going into a a game at Anfield, particularly from an Arsenal perspective. So it's going to be a difficult one. If Arsenal come away with a point from Anfield, I think that's a fantastic result in the context of their their title ambitions. And I'd love for Arsenal to come away with a point. A a point now, would you take it then? 100%. Yeah, 100%. I think so. Because um, it keeps that gap to Manchester City Nice six points, and then if City win the game in hand, three points, and it's all down to goal difference, which is a lot closer than it seemed a few weeks ago. I think it's 43 for Arsenal, 45 for Man City, and that head-to-head game at the Etihad will obviously be huge. So there's lots of different things to to be taken into account. But I, yeah, a point I would take it if I was if I was in this current situation, I'd, I'd definitely take a point because I think that'd be a really good result. Having said that, a loss I don't think is the end of the world. I know it's very difficult at this stage of the season, to tell Arsenal fans not to get too emotional about things. But I don't think a loss would be the end of the world. I think it'd be fine. And I think Arsenal can certainly bounce back if they don't get a result. But if they do get a result, 
fantastic. Yeah, it, it is going to be tough. Um, the atmosphere, the stadium itself adds that element of it that you know Liverpool have not had in their last two games. Liverpool beat Manchester City at Anfield earlier this season. Um, and the game between us and Liverpool wasn't exactly, you know, a, an easy affair for Arsenal. They really had to fight for it and arguably get a bit of fortune as well on their way to winning that game. So um, it is going to be very interesting. And Arsenal without their starting right-sided centre-back as well. Liverpool, of course, are missing still some players themselves. Van Dijk missed the game due to illness. I'd be surprised if he's not available uh, for this game. I think he'll probably be back in. Um, but Luis Diaz, of course, still out. But could be back in training, could be on the bench, who knows, we'll have to wait and see for that one. But it was interesting to see him rest so many players against Chelsea. Do you do you think that was purely down to the fact that the game was on Tuesday and they played so recently against Man City? Or do you think there was an element of they felt that they are more likely to get a result against Arsenal at Anfield? I do wonder if Jurgen Klopp's thinking, right, this season is essentially over for Liverpool. They're out of all the cup competitions. Um, they're 10 points off the top four. They're probably not going to qualify for the Champions League. They might get Europa League football if things go well. And maybe he's thinking, look, I need to raise the spirits around the club. And the way to do that is by giving everything to try and get a win against the potential league winners. And if they can do that, then I think from his perspective, from a PR perspective as well, Liverpool can sell it as, look, we're still here. We're still a big team. We've had an off season, but we're ready to come back next season and they'll start building towards next campaign so as far as he's concerned Klopp I think his his mind is already partially on next season and I think he'll be viewing this as a chance to build up towards that you know in the way that maybe Arsenal did when they realised you know in that season when it was quite obvious that they weren't going to make um, top four top six I think the Covid season when they'd been knocked out of the Europa League and they went and won yeah. I think all five games towards the end of the season and Arteta started building up the momentum, I think Klopp might Is it Nelson scoring, I think, weren't they, in that game against Liverpool? Then they beat Liverpool at the end of the season? Oh, they were yeah, the I, wasn't, champions. I wasn't referring to a Liverpool one. I meant the season after, um, when oh, they were okay. out of the Europa League semis by Villarreal, and they went and won, I think it was the mm. final five league games or something. Yeah, so yeah. I think Klopp might look at this as the start of a potential run that's, that's similar for that, and maybe he'll start to sort of work out which players he can rely on for next year and which players he'll need to move on, that kind of stuff. So... Yeah, potential, but also Arsenal are a very good team this year and I don't think we should forget that. And if you want to experiment, Arsenal's not necessarily the best team to do that against. And I think Arsenal will punish any sort of weaknesses that Liverpool leave laid bare and that could be huge. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm excited. You should be too, listeners, as well. It's going to be a very, very big game that will have massive implications for the rest of Arsenal's season, no matter what the result is. Um, all three of them uh, will have their implications. I mean, I think other than a other than a win, it does put the control of the title technically, mathematically back into City's hands because uh, if they were to go on a perfect run, uh, I think that would, even with the goal difference, lead to them winning the league. So it's it's all to play for. Uh, Manchester City obviously have... Who are they playing this weekend? Is it... Southampton. Uh, 
Southampton away from that, home. Which does seem a bit unfair, to be honest. But <laughs> a little, although I guess you know we had a home game against Leeds when they played Liverpool too. So you True. could argue uh, <laughs> everything comes around. But then, of course, they do play their games against Bayern Munich in the uh, in the Champions League. They'll then face a Leicester City side who potentially will have a brand new manager at that point as well before facing the second leg away at Bayern Munich. And then there's another weekend where a Premier League fixture is postponed for them because of an FA Cup semi-final. So is it? do you think that there's more confidence for Arsenal because potentially, depending on what happens here in this Liverpool game, that gap could widen to a point where I know that there's obviously two games more that would be played by Arsenal, but psychologically seeing that gap is surely a massive advantage for Arsenal if they can take advantage of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that it's always better to have points on the board. And I think mm. if you look at most Premier League teams and players and managers, I think they'd all say the same. It's definitely better to be in the position maybe where you're further ahead and know what you've already done than whereas Man City will go into these games. Maybe it's an advantage that they know what they need to do, but I would say that the, the stress put on the fact that they know they can't afford to drop any points and they can't afford to slip up anymore means that it's actually maybe a disadvantage for them. So, yes, games in hands are cool um, and it'd be great. And Arsenal, I think we're in a similar position last season where they had, was it three games in hand on Spurs? And maybe that gave them a false sense of security. I don't know. But this time around, I think the games in hand uh, for Man City won't necessarily give them an advantage. I think it'll be a big boost for Arsenal if they can get points on the board and it just makes things even more daunting and even more tricky for Man City, in my opinion. But I can totally see why people might think the opposite is it's... It's a really weird psychology to get your head around that one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I look forward to the race. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. We'll wait and see what indeed does happen uh, in other areas. Before we go into your questions, I just want to highlight Katie McCabe's strike, which is an, um, an amazing piece of football. Um, and not only that, but obviously with the youth side beating Manchester City in the Youth Cup semi-final, Arsenal women's then beating Manchester City at the weekend, surely there's a form going on here that must lead to us and, uh, you know, getting the third one on top of that and beating Man City in the league coming up. But what did you make of, of the weekend's women's results, which really has put, you know, Jonas Ideval not only in Champions League contention with an amazing turnaround last week, but also in the WSL as well? Yes, that is famously how football works. If your under-18s team win and your women's team win, then your first team for the men's is guaranteed to win. That's yes. exactly how football works. Absolutely. We all know, we all know that. <laughs> But uh, yes, it's it's a weird, uh, it's a very very good result. Sorry for Man City. Uh, oh my god, what am I saying for Man City for Arsenal <laughs> to have beaten Man City last week? Uh, massive for the WSL title race. It, it's such a fascinating title race where uh, all four teams in the top four: City, Arsenal, Chelsea, United are separated by three points, and all of them could go on to win quite conceivably. Uh, it's it's a really interesting title race. Arsenal and Chelsea, of course, have the Champions League to bear in mind, but. I think if you look at what the women are doing this season, and they've done it without Beth Mead and Viviana Miedemar, who last season were their two most important players, and if you were going into this season, would definitely have been counted as their two most important players. Miedemar was on the Ballon d'Or shortlist, Beth Mead obviously came second. So you're taking two of the best players in world football out of this Arsenal side, and they're still able to launch a very, very plausible title challenge and get to the semi-finals of the Champions League. The work Jonas Eidabel has done with this side this season has been superb, and there's been a few... Smart January acquisitions as well. Uh, Pavlova's been fantastic, the impact she's made. So lots of players doing really well for for Arsenal. And shout out to uh, the Arsenal social media team who did a fantastic piece of work with the call an ambulance but not for me meme. 
uh, when it came to Katie McCabe. Who obviously, <laughs> she, left, she left the Emirates Stadium in crutches on the Wednesday night uh, after the, the Bayern Munich uh, quarterfinal when Arsenal, as you mentioned, came back to win and pops mm-hmm. up on um, Saturday, or was it Sunday? I can't remember, with a winning goal. So that is, that is a superb turnaround and well done to the Arsenal physios and well done to the Arsenal social media team for what gave me a very good chuckle over the weekend. They've, they've been doing some good work this season. They've had a lot of good content to work with, but they've still been doing plenty of good work, I'd say. Uh, Arsenal's next game is against Manchester United on Wednesday, the 19th of April. So that's a massive game. As uh, a friend of mine who is an Arsenal fan, his sister plays for Manchester United. Um, so there's a kind of a strange conflict of interest going on there. Uh, and then, of course, we've got that game uh, against Wolfsburg away from home um, on the 23rd of April. And then the return leg on the 1st of May, which uh, I think Arsenal showed that they've already sold 25,000 plus tickets for at the Emirates, which is fantastic. If you can get yourself down there, Get down there. As I said before, the Youth Cup game, you know, there's plenty of Arsenal going on at the Emirates for you to get to. So, uh, yes, even though tickets are quite hard in the men's team at the moment, there's plenty of opportunities to go. Okay, let's uh, let's go to part two then and tackle some questions uh, from the listeners. Um, got a fair few sent in, uh, so I'll, I'll kick things off. Uh, sticking with the Liverpool theme, uh, Monica on Twitter, at Katende Simon PE7, says... Um, uh, what's the probable lineup that you think will start against Liverpool? Is it fairly expectant? I suppose the front three is the area where there's a question mark. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's start from the back. Aaron Ramsdale is obviously going to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben White will play. Uh, we've we've discussed. We think Rob Holding is going to be in for William Saliba, although you know that needs to be decided later in the day. Gabriel, of course, will play. Zinchenko, Partey, Xhaka, Erdegaard. We all know that bit of the team. The decision to be made, yes, as you say, is does Leandro Trossard play uh, or does Gabriel Jesus play? As far as I'm concerned, because you can't drop Gabriel Martinelli right now with the form he's in. He scored six and six before the international break, got an assist against Leeds and was very impressive, I thought, in that match. And Leandro Trossard was also really impressive in that match and he's got seven assists in uh, the time since he arrived uh, at Arsenal, which I think James Benz tweeted out Sat saying that's more than 10 Premier League teams put together. So that's not too bad in that period of time. And what he does, which is so impressive, is he brings the best out of the players around him. So it's not just about him playing well, which he has played very well, but it's also about the work he does to bring in others. So Martinelli has gone to another level with Trossard in the side. And I think Saka was always playing very well this season. He's not really had too many dips, but he seems to have kicked on another gear as well. So he'll be back fully fit because he was struggling with illness last week, which is why he was on the bench. I still, though, would look to play Gabriel Jesus up front, despite that glowing endorsement I've just given of Trossard, because if you look at what Trossard does when it comes to bringing the best out of other players, Jesus does that to a whole nother level. And Jesus does have a very good record against Liverpool as well. He's not scored at Anfield, but he does tend to score in those big games against them. And I think that's going to be massive. I think he's someone who's got that big make, big game mentality from Manchester City. He knows what these kind of matches are all about. And Arsenal are going to need that when they go into this clash. I think... If you're starting Jesus at home against Leeds, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's for the long-term ambition of building his fitness up to be able to start at Anfield. And maybe it's a bit harsh on Trossard, and I think he'd certainly have a role to play off the bench, but those would be the three I'd go for, Saka, Martinelli and Jesus, although I'm, I'm fully aware that many people will disagree with that. Yeah, no, I think there will be people that do. I agree with you. I'd go for Jesus, <laughs> Martinelli and Saka as well. Um I think that Trossard from the bench is a great option for us, you know, to come off. And I think if you are going to play Trossard, it can't be instead of Martinelli because I feel like 
if you put him in instead of Martinelli, you're taking off his best collaborator. Those two have such a good partnership together. And when obviously Trossard was playing through the middle, those two were working together really well. He obviously got the assist for the sole goal of the Leicester game. He assisted him um, in the Fulham game as well with that cross. And I think that those two have, have really formed a good level of understanding of where each other will be at the right place at the right time. So if Trossard comes on, it would probably be for Jesus. And Ketia is said to be outside training, you know, building up his fitness, getting back. I don't think we'll see him this weekend, but there's a potential we might see him maybe in a, in a week or two's time. And then where he fits in from the bench options, all of a sudden you've got Nketiah, Smith-Rowe, Vieira, Trossard. You know, there's so many options. Nelson, of course, still as well. Last minute hero against Bournemouth. So Arteta's got so much attacking variation right now, which is obviously a great problem to have. But yeah, I think some fans after Trossard scored a hat-trick for Brighton at Anfield earlier this season are arguing that, well, he's got the pedigree there. Why not allow him to use that? Um, but I think you're right. I think it will be Jesus, Martinelli and Saka. The other question mark for some has been Tierney Zinchenko because having someone like Tierney is suggested by some that gives you that greater defensive security, perhaps, that, that Zinchenko doesn't offer against Salah. Because last time we played Liverpool, it was Tomiyasu that was locking down Nunez and Salah. Salah, I imagine, will have a much more open time on Sunday uh, against Zinchenko's absent space. So is there any credence to the argument that Tierney gets a consideration? It's true. Uh, Salah will have more space to run into if uh, Tierney is, isn't playing. But also you can look at it from an offensive point of view. And I'm sure this is how Mikel Arteta will be looking at it as well, which is how do Arsenal go out and win the game rather how rather than how do Arsenal go out and avoid losing the game? And yes, Salah is very dangerous on the on the counter-attack, but he doesn't really track back. And that leaves plenty of space in behind for and Alex Zinchenko to uh, take advantage of. And we know that if you give Zinchenko space and you allow him to pick his head up and play passes, he will punish you. And in a big game like this, I think he strikes me as someone who has the pedigree, like Jesus, to step up and take advantage of any spaces that become available. And yes, it would be a risk. Yes, you'd be leaving space in behind. But on that left-hand side is Gabriel Magalhaes, who, as we said before, has been, in my opinion, the best central defender in the Premier League this season. And he essentially plays two roles anyway, playing centre-back and left-back when Zinchenko gets forward. And I think he'll be big. And I think maybe Xhaka will play a slightly more withdrawn role and maybe that will allow a little bit more cover. But yeah, I think sometimes you have to take risks, especially against a team like Liverpool. You have to take risks in order to, to beat them. And I don't think playing Tierney would necessarily play into Arsenal's hands in terms of trying to go and win the game. Yes, it might help them stop Salah, but would it help them then take advantage of the spaces that are left in behind that Liverpool midfield? And also, when you look at the Liverpool midfield, whoever it is, I'm not convinced that they'll cause Arsenal too many problems. Fabinho is really out of form. Henderson has been doing pretty well, but, you know, when it comes to possessional quality, he's not on the level of the Arsenal midfielders. And then who else are you looking at? Harvey Elliott, plenty of other players. So I think Arsenal, if they flood that midfield, like they tend to do when White comes in and Zinchenko comes in, they can really establish a dominance of the game. And it's not very often that teams do that at Anfield. So I think Zinchenko is crucial to everything Arsenal are going to try and do in this match. And yeah, I'd certainly view him as someone who has to play. Although, yeah, maybe the Tierney argument is there, but for me, Zinchenko has got to play. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, whilst I think there's certainly, as you say, credence to the argument about why TNE should maybe get a, a shoo-in for this, it, it just doesn't make that much sense in my mind to just suddenly change up the back four any more than it needs to with Holding already coming in for Saliba. So the structure's there. Gabriel has been brilliant covering that left space when Zinchenko you know, is absent from it. And I think that we have to put faith in that team and Xhaka, of course, to bring some cover to that role as well. But it's, it's going to be tough. Um, it's going to be very difficult indeed. Obviously, Liverpool went with a very strange front four when they arrived at the Emirates. I wonder if they'll do something similar or whether they'll stick with the front three and the three in midfield. I think it probably would make sense for them to stick with the three because the midfield is probably where Arsenal would win this if they only have two options in there. So it's going to be interesting how Klopp decides to set this one up. I'm hoping and praying Trent starts because I think Martinelli will have a field day uh, against John Alexander-Arnold's defensive line, touch wood. So let's see what happens with that. Do you have a question to hand? I do, I do, I do have a question. Awesome. This is from Mohamed Memon on Twitter, who's at Memonir, Memon Mir, sorry, and says, uh, do you guys see Man City winning all their games remaining in the Premier League from here until the end of the season? Right, well, let's have a quick look at what those fixtures are. So I'll read them Premier League-wise. Uh, we've got Southampton away uh, this weekend. We've then got Leicester City at home, potentially with a new manager. Uh, the game against Brighton has been postponed because of their involvement in the semi-finals of the FA Cup. We then, of course, travel to the Etihad on the 26th of April. Um, Fulham then host them, who will be without Alexander Mitrovic, of course, after his lengthy ban. Uh, Man City then host West Ham United on the 3rd of May. Uh, then Leeds United on the 7th of May uh, away to Everton with three games to go. Could be a very big game that for Everton on the 13th of May. They then host Chelsea, who could be managed by, it seems, Frank Lampard uh, for that game on the 20th of May. And then the last game of the season could be against the Brentford side looking to try and qualify for Europe if things go well for them between now and the end. I'll tell you what, so, should we go through cool. those one by one? So we'll, Yeah, sure. We'll Southampton away. Well, OK, so I'm going City win for that one. So am I. <laughs> yeah. No shots there. At home. No shots there. Um, interestingly, that one sandwiched in between the two Bayern Champions yeah. League legs. And so the bounce you mentioned for Leicester might make it a bit closer, but I think you'd be a fool to say anything other than a City win for that game. It's going to be a draw. Wow. <laughs> okay. It's going to be a draw. Okay. New manager bounce, resting players. I'm going to go with a draw in that one. I didn't put that down as a draw when I did our FL predictions, by the way. <laughs> I definitely yeah. put them down to uh, to miss that one. The We'll come back to the ones that still need to be rearranged at the end. Um, Man City, Arsenal. What are you going for that one? It's a hard one to call. <laughs> it's really hard. Um I think I want to say draw because I don't want to predict Arsenal to lose in that game. And I do think Arsenal would have learned lessons from the last time they played Man City. And I think when they played the Etihad in the FA Cup, we were both at that game. It was a very even match, which was only really decided by a really good finish from Nathan Ake. So I'm going for uh, uh, a draw in that one. I, I'm going to go for an Arsenal win because I'm forever the optimist. Um, <laughs> Fulham away. I think without Mitrovic and the form they're in, they don't have much chance, to be honest. So I'm going to go for a City win at Fulham. Yeah, Fulham strike me as a team who seems to be a little bit on the beach in the sense that they're not going down. Yeah. They're probably not going to get Conference League. So they seem to just be coasting through to the end of the year. And yeah, I think you have to say City are favourites for that one. Hopefully Palinia plays. That's the best chance they've got, I think, if he does. Uh, then they've got a rearranged game now uh, on the 3rd of May, which is the West Ham one. So that takes place in midweek between the Fulham and Leeds games. Uh, that's at home. 
against West Ham. You were saying to me the other day you thought West Ham are a team that are better than what they're showing right now. So Yes, but I don't think that means they'll beat Manchester City. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're that much better. And I watched the highlights of their, their game with Newcastle last night and my God, some of the some of the goals they were conceding were yeah. comical. Oh, my goodness, yeah. The third and fourth ones in particular were atrocious. And if they keep that up against Man City, then that could be really bad. And if you're looking at goal difference and all that kind of stuff, really, really bad. But uh, who knows? That stage of the season, if West Ham goes to the Etihad really needing points in order to stay up, it could be a thing. But uh, City win for me in that one. Declan Rice may be motivated to help his future, potentially future team. Uh, Leeds at home. Are we both going for a City win in that one as well? I'm actually going for a Leeds win. No, I'm joking. It's uh, City <laughs> You said that with such City composure. Home. I genuinely believed it for a second. Yeah, yeah. Well, if the, if the journalism doesn't work out, I suppose acting is a career I could get into. <laughs> but no, uh, I think you'd have to be a fool to look beyond City to win at that one. Uh, Everton at home, who of course have already taken points off City this season when they drew at the Etihad. Andre Gray, not Andre Gray, Damari Gray, I'm sorry, with the uh, with a fantastic strike from outside the box. I'm going to go for a draw in that. Again, forever the optimist. <laughs> I really like your optimism. Uh, you're dropping a lot of points for City along this yeah. road. Yeah. Uh, listen, Everton didn't have, Everton had one thing then that they don't have now, and that's Frank Lampard, and that's going to that's be a massive. <laughs> No, I think oh, it's should have laughed that hard. But... That's a Come boost, on, Sean but... Dyche, surely do us a favour. Well, Sean Dyche's record against Manchester City is atrocious and I don't predict yeah, that yeah. to change anytime Wonderful. soon. Uh, I'm sorry. I think Man City win yet again. Chelsea at City. Chelsea is a really difficult one to call and we, we were joking about Frank Lampard there. Um, I don't think he'll have the... The massive impact on, and maybe we can, when we're done with this, we can talk about the Frank Lampard impact mm. and what it means for Arsenal. But um, I don't think he'll have the desired impact maybe Chelsea are looking for. I don't think he'll go on to help them win the Champions League, as some people have been suggesting. And maybe, I mean, if if, if he does and they're stuck with him for another two years because they have to give him a contract at the end of it, that would be very funny and it'd be very <laughs> Chelsea. But um, I think I'd be very surprised if that happens. I think... It's hard to tell because I think he'll get them playing better than they are now. And I think he'll get them playing maybe with a bit more confidence. But I don't know if any manager really can cope with that level of players and that level of squad. Because if you look at a new manager bounce, what it's all about is bringing the mood up and bringing the spirits to the club up. And that's so hard to do when you've got 30 odd players and players changing in the in the, in the the hallways. And I think some people have been reporting this. Table as well. Yeah, exactly. So that's very difficult. Uh the optimist in me wants to say Chelsea potentially to get a point at the Etihad. Is it at the Etihad? It is at the Etihad. Uh, I mean, the records between the two, Chelsea have lost the last five meetings and they've not scored in any of them from just that looking sounds at like, That sounds like something's, gonna, something's got to give. You know, the run's going <laughs> to end eventually. But yeah. having heard that and with my opinions on Frank Lampard, which I'm sure we'll get into in a bit more detail in a sec, I think Chelsea have to be favourites to lose that one I think unfortunately City win again for me last game of the season Brentford away Brentford away is tough and if Brentford are going for Europe mm. that could make things very interesting whereas Arsenal playing Wolves who I think probably will be safe by then and probably will be have nothing to play for which is the ideal kind of team you want to play in that sort of scenario Brentford on the other hand could get UEFA UEFA Cup. What am I? What year am I living in? Uh, it's two thousand and nine. Uh, Europa <laughs> League football. Uh, they could get Conference League. 
So yeah. that will be all to play for. And Brentford's record against the big six is fantastic. They've only lost, I think, two in their last 16, Brentford. So, you know, that's very difficult. And the team as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I included Man United last night. But as Brent, we are the... Uh, wait, we, no, we, we drew with Brentford, didn't we? So that, that would not be that. Yeah, we beat them 3-0 though earlier this season. Oh, OK. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I, the one in the big six. Yes, sorry. Confused there. Uh, <laughs> listen, I think if City go there needing a win and knowing that they need to win, it'll be very difficult for Brentford to withstand that. And if City plays to the best of their ability, uh, you'd, you'd have to back Brentford to, to be defeated in that one. But I think difficult. Difficult. I've given City a lot of wins, uh, but that's because they do have quite a nice run in all the way to the final day of the season. I've uh, got a couple of light-hearted ones here. Uh, this is from Ams on Discord. What's your favourite snippet of Arsenal commentary so far this season? I still get goosebumps whenever I hear Peter Drury say, Odegaard is joining in, and he's in Martinelli for his first goal against Liverpool earlier this season. Um, so, on my way, I live about a half an hour walk away from the Emirates Stadium, so when I walk in, I'm usually listening to a podcast or listen to some music, I'll have my headphones on. And uh, for some reason, this weekend before going to the Leeds game, uh, I think Reese Nelson's goal against Bournemouth popped up on my Twitter feed. And uh, I don't want to promote a rival podcast too much, but over on the Arscast, Andrew did a fantastic job of clipping up all the foreign commentary of that Reese Nelson goal. And uh, there is a Japanese version of that commentary, which is just the most joyous thing I've heard in a very, very long time. So, yeah. I'd have to go for that. Anything that hasn't been done by Martin Tyler, as far as I'm concerned, is is elite. So I would go for that Japanese commentary on Reese Nelson's goal because I think it is stupendous. Thrown by Kai, unbelievable. Um, <laughs> I just, I just, I'm just, I don't think he's a very good commentator. <laughs> um, for me, is uh, Peter Drury for me is the pinnacle of of uh, English language commentating. Um, I think that. You know, I almost feel like whenever I see him in the press lounge, I need to put like a transfer-esque exclusive tweet out, like Peter Drury's in the building, people. He will be commentating on the Arsenal game because, you know, everyone just laps it up because it is great. Um, but mine is Bakaya Saka's penalty against Liverpool earlier season where he says such poise, such noise. And that is, you know, the noise in the stadium at the Emirates in that game. You know, I was with you for the Nelson goal as well in the Emirates and that was a very special moment that I will never, ever forget. But... The emotion around the Saka penalty, because obviously what it meant for Arsenal, what it meant for him individually. Um, and obviously we always, whenever it is Saka taking a penalty, we go back to that, that Euro final as well. And it was such a huge moment for his club and he managed to take it. And it was complete composure. And as Peter describes it, such poise, like the, the confidence, the calmness, everything about it. He's just unfazed. Um, yeah, there's there's lots of Peter Drury commentaries to go and watch over the course of the season. You can find plenty of compilations of them I've found on YouTube that I have certainly been indulging in over the course of the season. I encourage you to do that as well if you can. So, yeah, good one. Um, did you have a question about Lampard that we could highlight or are we just going to... I didn't have one specifically. I can I can make one up if you like. Uh, From Akkarnak ninety seven on Twitter. <laughs> what impact do you think Frank Lampard's appointment will have on Arsenal this season? And what do you make of the appointment in general? I think that it is uh, for me. I don't see the benefit of this appointment over seeing what they described as a long term project in Potter 
and keeping him into the end of the season just to see if things could have been arrested. I don't see what the benefit of bringing Lampard in over this period because if the mindset of the club is that they want to bring a coach in to steady the ship into the end of the campaign, sure, you can still do that behind the scenes if you want to. You know, lots of things go on behind the scenes that aren't spoken about. They could still look at speaking to Luis Enrique or speaking to Julian Nagelsmann about their interest in a future Chelsea job if, say, Potter's reign toward the end of this season wasn't going smoothly. But if it if they wanted the idea of a project like Arsenal and Josh Kroenke did with Arsenal and Arteta, you have to look at giving that that person time, you know, and you giving that person the opportunity to rest. The expectation that Potter, after 600 million quid's worth of players, would suddenly see a huge upturn in things and that he would become assimilated into the group and familiar with what he wants and his best team possible. And as you said earlier on, with players changing outside the changing rooms because there's no space... The idea of trying to manage that situation of a manager that's never managed at that level and to expect such an immediate reaction was just ludicrous. So I don't, to speak upon Lampard himself, sure, he might get, as you said earlier, a better response immediately because I think he maybe commands a bit more respect in the walls of Chelsea, specifically as a club. Anywhere he goes, he's going to command respect for obviously his legacy in football, but specifically at Chelsea, I think he'll be able to. Because I saw some, I don't know if you saw these reports coming out of some of the things that Chelsea players were saying about Potter. Like, do you remember like the, um, there were reports about Arsenal players not particularly taking Emery seriously at times and stuff like that. I think there was a little bit apparently going on like that with Chelsea and Potter. So that's a shame. And maybe Lampard will be able to go in and, you know, kind of be a bit more strict with things. But yeah, I, I don't see the benefit of it over keeping Potter until the end of the campaign. I really don't. So I thought the, the Graham Potter sacking was weird in the timing of it because they've been dropping points against those kind of teams throughout most of the year. Mm. And I thought, give him the quarterfinal against Real Madrid and then see what happens. So if he loses against Real Madrid, then, you know, goodbye. Thank you for playing kind of thing. And, you know, good luck. Good memories. Yeah. But I don't think uh, sacking him now really does much for Chelsea and I think it kind of leaves them vulnerable in a sense to a sort of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer situation where he obviously came in his interim at Man United and did really well in the Champions League and suddenly they were forced to appoint him long term and I don't think that will happen with Chelsea but I do think if you look at the way that club's being run it's not really clear what the owners want I think you mentioned that they want that long-term project with Graham Potter but then in the summer they went out and signed Raheem Sterling Kaladu Koulibaly and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, all players who are towards the end of their career. Very good players, but players who are towards the end of their career. So if you go out and make those kind of signings and then spend, as you say, nearly half a billion on um, players who are going to be there for tomorrow, you're left with this squad where there's a bunch of 30-year-olds and there's a bunch of 21-year-olds and there's not an awful lot in between. And I think that does create a bit of a problem for Chelsea and it creates a problem for any manager coming in. Having said that, if you look at the best players in this Chelsea side, a lot of them are from that generation when they had that transfer ban who were promoted from the youth side and went on to become first-team players. You look at Mason Mount, Rhys James, players like that, who Frank Lampard does have a very particular connection with because he's the one who gave them their debut, he's the one who gave them their first-team chance and he's the one who trusted them. So I think that Frank Lampard could be trusted to get a tune out of those kind of guys and Rhys James' big thing is obviously staying fit, but if he's in the side, then Chelsea are a much better team. If Mason Mount is on form, then as much as people don't seem to rate him, I think he's a good player, and I do think Chelsea are a much better team with him playing on form. So 
there's players who he could get the most out of. And if you look at midfielders like Conor Gallagher, he could possibly have a good connection with Lampard. Maybe Ben Chilwell could have a good connection with Frank Lampard. Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, plenty of those kind of guys who have grown up watching Lampard. As you say, they might listen to him more and they might just be willing to, to give him a go until the end of the season. So maybe it will boost Chelsea. I think European qualification is beyond them now. So it's really interesting to see sort of what they have to play for. But maybe in the Champions League, maybe they give Real Madrid a good game. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think from an Arsenal perspective, it does make that game at the Emirates, the 5.30 kickoff in a couple of weeks' time, a bit more interesting because I think maybe it's not quite the banker that it was a few weeks ago. And I do think Graham Potter is a much better manager than Frank Lampard, by the way. But I do think that Frank Lampard might be able to get a better tune out of this Chelsea player, Chelsea group than, than Potter would have done. So it makes that game a little bit more interesting, a little bit more difficult. But I do think that it's 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 minimal in the impact it could have between now and the end of the season. I don't think he'll do well in the Champions League and I don't know what he can do in the Premier League other than maybe get a bit of a tune out of a couple of those players. So, yeah, very Chelsea, very haphazard. And for a club that has been so, I guess, as, as much as their whole ethos was sacking managers all the time, you kind of knew what Chelsea stood for, which was instant success all the time. And now... We don't really know what they stand for and it's very difficult to have too much sympathy for that from an Arsenal perspective. But I do think that maybe next season, if they get the right manager, they can start to build things better. But for now, there's there's not an awful lot Lampard can do. So, yeah, tricky one for him, tricky one for Chelsea. But I don't think you'll find many Arsenal fans who, who care too much about that, to be honest. No, I think our sites are very much... It's, it's great, you know, watching when... Man United played Newcastle when Liverpool played Chelsea when um, Spurs are playing anyone. You know, it's nice to just watch those and think, I actually don't care what happens in a way. Like, it doesn't affect Arsenal. It's, just, it's a nice place. But there obviously is implications in a longer-term aspect and, you know, in, in terms of the whole league table and form and stuff like that. But it is nice. You remember having to, like, seasons gone by, you're looking at the top four and you're going... Well, if Chelsea drop points here, but if Chelsea are playing Spurs, one of them's got to get points, or both of them are going to drop points. You know, it's we don't have to worry about that. And you know, whatever happens with Chelsea this season, I'm going to relish in their disappointment. And I genuinely think that Todd Bowley might be one of the best things to happen to Arsenal, ironically, since Arteta joined. So, um, but the way that clubs, because if anything, Chelsea have been the biggest scorn, I think, in Arsenal's last nearly two decades. The way in which obviously Abramovich came in, the money spent raising them above Arsenal, going on to win what they've won, taking the transfer targets, taking youth players. You know, they have been, I think, Arsenal's biggest obstacle in their own ambitions to get back to the top. And so having someone that's running it like a kid playing football manager, no offence, Kai, I know that you love it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's just, it's such a benefit to Arsenal who are looking so meticulous and targeted and strategic in the way in which they approach every decision they make. So, yeah, I think it's... Uh, it's comical, which is wonderful for us. Um, we have got only a couple of minutes left. Uh, there is a couple of questions that have been uh, I did want to ask. This one coming in from Akiam Lostello twenty three. Uh, it says, "Would you rather take on and battle five Mikel Arteta's or five Jurgen Klopp's? I'd appreciate reasons for whichever one you choose." God. <laughs> so five Mikel Arteta's would be terrifying in a very different way from five Jurgen Klopp's. I think. <laughs> Five Jurgen Klopp's would be really intimidating and he'd scream and shout in your face and it'd be really horrible. 
Uh, he's quite physically imposing as well, Klopp, isn't he? He's a big guy, and I think you'd be blinded by those teeth as well, which would make fighting him a lot harder. But Mikel Arteta seems like a guy who'd be relentless, and he strikes me as a guy who'd fight dirty as well. He strikes me as a guy who wouldn't be afraid to you know, go for a low blow here or there. So yeah. well, I probably fancy my chances more against Mikel Arteta, just because I think Jurgen Klopp is another level of crazy, and I've seen the way he screams. I know Arteta likes getting in fourth officials' faces, but the way Klopp screams in fourth officials' faces, I don't know if you remember that clip from a few years ago when he's properly, he's, he's Dortmund manager at the time, he's probably gurning in an official's face. And that is, yeah, that is, that is terrifying. That's one of the... the yeah. The few sights I've seen on a football pitch where I thought, blimey, I, I would not want to be anywhere near a football pitch. So, yeah, just about five Jurgen Klopp's, but uh, I think I'd need backup from the rest of the Arsenal team in order to take him down. Yeah, Sorry, I five Jurgen Klopp's. Yeah, it's it's a real it's a real tough one because I look and go, well, Arteta's fitter and younger. You know, you look at him and go, maybe he's you know it would be a tougher one to fight. But you, yeah, Klopp's got the crazy factor. In him, I feel like maybe you could strategically like try and get the Artetas to infight between each other, like <laughs> some way, just like strategically, like get them about unity. unity is the buzzword. They'd be all about that. Yeah, I mean, maybe if we just asked them about a transfer target, they would just you know get so distracted by it, trying to deny it or not refuse to speak about it. Then, then you could strategically like do something. But yeah, it's an interesting one. <laughs> I love it. The question was more like, would you rather fight one? Um, Pair met, uh, sorry, one pair Mertesacker size Santi Cazorla or five Santi Cazorla size pair Mertesackers. <laughs> well, that's a tough one too. I'd probably take the uh, the one Santi because I just think he's too nice. Yeah. I think the fight would be, <laughs> he'd charm me into not wanting to fight him anymore. I wouldn't want to hit him, so I'd just roll over. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably the right answer. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, I appreciate your time, as always. Make sure to drop a like on the video. Leave comments down below of anything that we've discussed today that you've got your thoughts on as well. And follow uh, us on Twitter, where we always leave our reminders uh, each week of when we're doing the show and where you can then get questions thrown in. You can follow Kai on Twitter at KaiKanak97. You can follow myself at Tom Cantor Media, and you can follow all of our written work at football.london. Kai, thank you so much for your time, Matt. As always, got anything coming up you want to give a shout-out to? Uh, thank you very much for having me on. No, nothing particular. We've got the press conference tomorrow, so join us for that. Live coverage, uh, the press conference, I believe, is 1.30. So join us uh, from 12.30 on the FL website where we'll have a live blog. Breakers on Salibra updates as soon as we get them, all that kind of stuff. So join us for that. And then, obviously, coverage of the Liverpool game this weekend. Absolutely. Uh, lots of build-up, lots of interesting stuff going on. Predicted 11s, reporters 11s, etc., etc. So make sure you keep your eyes peeled across things. You'll be able to watch back Mikel Arteta's press conference, of course, on the Arsenal way as well. And uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing all the latest team news from him tomorrow afternoon. Have a fantastic day. Enjoy it. Uh, you've nearly made it to the weekend. We're nearly there uh, and football will be returning very soon. We'll see you soon. And as always, keep following us down the Arsenal way with our views from the clock end. <laughs>